0: What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG and MHS Network. I am, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Okay, we have um, <clears throat> some more clarity on who the Nuggets will be playing uh, in the, uh, the first round of the playoffs. It'll be the, either the Minnesota Timberwolves or the um, uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, I have no preference of either of those I think both teams have their advantages and disadvantages uh you would want the team that is uh probably playing its first playoff series um but I, all the teams that are in the play-in they're in a play-in for the for a reason and my my thing is always like even if it was the Lakers you should beat you should beat them because this is a uh um There's a reason they're in the position they are, and there's been this revisionist history that has gone on, particularly at ESPN, about the concept of the people who the teams that get into the play-in and them being more talented than they. uh uh, have represented through the year and therefore uh should every team in the western conference should be dangerous um the nuggets have let slip the rope at the last as we discussed in the last more cast i was talking about the nuggets prioritizing their health over absolutely everything and um that kind of altering the perception of of them specifically um going into the playoffs because the nuggets just kind of went went were okay um, after that Memphis game. So, um but I'm not going to go over that again. Um so the Nuggets will be uh heading into um this 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 first round series and they should be a favorite. I think they are fully healthy now. Everyone from all the reports I've seen is in a good mood. Uh Aaron Gordon uh said uh, he is in a good place. Uh MBJ has said the same thing. Uh, Jokic seems like he's in a great mood right now. I think they are all happy to be not having to worry about their health getting into the playoffs. And I think that was actually burdening them more than the actual losing of games. I think they were very cognizant of their lead. And it really was that four-game winning streak, um, that they went on, uh, at, uh, t- towards the tail end of the, after their four-game losing streak, that really kind of solidified where they were, and they were really in no danger of losing their spot after that. Um, so I kind of want to talk about a little, this is going to be a multi-part thing here, and after I mention that little thing here, then we got to recontextualize the Nuggets' playoff history. Um, a lot has gone into the fact that the Nuggets haven't exactly, well, they're the only ABA, former ABA team to not go to the finals, And this is true, but there has not been a single M-A-B-A team that has been more uh, ridden by misfortune than the Denver Nuggets, particularly from the 80s on. Um, In the 70s, they shot themselves in the foot in both 1977 and 78. That team was good enough to go to the finals both of those years. And in a league that wasn't exactly on firm footing, That was really the Nuggets' ever best chance to win and go to the finals was that. And uh, they basically crapped all over themselves in 78 against the Sonics, a team they were much better than. Um, And somehow they just kind of decided they just couldn't make it. And a lot of that had to do with Brian Taylor (coughs) quitting on them midseason, but a lot of it had to do with them just not rising to the challenge in the Western Conference Finals that year and losing 4-2 to the Sonics. But um, the in the 80s, the times that they were their best, um, in 85, they were injured going into the playoffs. Uh, Fat Lever was injured. Um, and it really hurt their ability to do what they needed to do. They really were very competitive with the Lakers in the regular season. Um, that was a great Lakers team. I would argue of the Showtime era, uh, Lakers, the 80 the 85 team and the 88 team are probably the best ones, but I would give the edge to the 85 team because Kareem was still playing at a high level then. By the time you get to 80 uh, 88 Kareem was really uh, definitely on the downhill side. Um, so you get to you get to 19 uh, 1985 and this nuggets team. If people remember correctly, that game four against in the Western Conference Finals against the um, against the Lakers, the Nuggets were ahead at halftime, um, and in the third quarter, Kareem breaks um, English's hand, Alex English's hand, basically dooming the team the team for the rest of the year, <clears throat> for the rest of the series. But uh, English, uh, but they managed to tie the game. Um, late on a Mike Evans three-pointer, and uh, I, th- I believe it was Magic Johnson who ended up hitting a three-pointer to win the game for the uh, for the the Lakers, and then the Lakers annihilate the Nuggets in uh, LA the following game. But the Denver Nuggets in uh, in 1985 were a good team, and they had an injured Fat Lever who was barely functional at that point. Uh, a a Dan Issel who was about to retire and English who had got in, you know, basically his hand broken In the third quarter of game four, English had something like 30 points and they just, the Lakers could do nothing about it. Um, and it just was their misfortune, you know, it was injury. Like it always is seems to be with this Denver Nuggets team. There is a, there's injuries that seem to be ill-timed and come at the worst possible time. In 88, uh, the Nuggets uh, had injuries uh, to Fat Lever, who by the 88, even though English was still good, 80 by 88, Lever really was the best player on the team. And uh, Lever, once again in the Dallas series, gets injured. And it just completely derailed. Derailed their series against the uh, against the, the the Mavericks, who eventually lost to the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. Two misfortunes as far as injuries go. In 1995, I'm not including 94 because the Nuggets overachieved to an enormous. We all know this in 94, the biggest upset in NBA history at that time. And then they took. Um, the uh, Jazz to seven games in the next series, and which was, to me, one of the greatest series in Nuggets history. It was really, really that good. But the next year, they had everything going for them. And a combination of a massive, and I do mean massive, power struggle between Dan Nissel and Bernie Bickerstaff, coupled with bringing on a known uh, team locker room uh, issue guy Dale Ellis, who had other legal issues, following him, uh, b- introducing him to the locker room, and Mock mood having n- n- not his best year at that point. Um. Plus, LaFonzo Ellis getting injured at the Highlands Ranch Rec Center in a pickup game with Bryant Stiff. Um in that off season, shortly before the season began in fact i think it was august that that injury happened um just combined to completely derail that promising young nuggets team and then issel quitting in uh uh january of 95 just basically it was just there was death and then after that bernie took over and we don't need to go over that history again um and that was another great chance because that nuggets team defensively was probably the best defensive Nuggets team I've ever seen. Um, And they just, in fact, one of their big problems, which is unusual for Nuggets history, one of the Nuggets big problems was they weren't that great offensively in that era. But they were great defensively, and they were built for the 90s. And they just completely derailed after that, even though they had um, rookie Jalen Rose in there and all that stuff. It just didn't work. Okay, but we're going to fast-forward all the way to 2009. 2009, the Denver Nuggets um, were actually, their pursuit of the title was actually derailed by, in my view, yes, we can talk about the two inbounds passes, uh, Anthony Carter and Kenya Martin. We can talk about those, but we can also talk about the trade the chauncey billups trade which a very under talked about factor of that and which is something that would have guaranteed the nuggets uh win was uh that year and as far as i'm concerned you can't convince me otherwise was uh antonio mcdice declining to come back to denver a condition of the trade was that the nuggets had to buy him out Uh, he had and the nuggets genuinely wanted him then i knew i know you know RIP mark workantine but i i knew work well enough at that time to for him for for to get an indication that the nuggets really definitely did want um uh, mcDice to come in that trade and he the, he was bought out because mcDice simply did not want to come back to a place that had traded him twice and um there is a zero doubt. Zero doubt that the Nuggets would have beaten the Lakers if they had Antonio McDice on that team. He would have been a great complement to uh, uh, Chris Anderson on the bench. Um, At that time, you know, it was the down. I mean, I think I think Dice only made it one more year after 2000. I think he retired in 2010. But McDice was became altered his career after his knee injuries and and really cost him two years of his career, he became a super role player. Um, And he was very good at that. He was very good at that because Dice was a great basketball player. And by the time of his first major injury in 2001, he he was on his way to becoming a legit big star, especially in that era of the NBA. But it uh, derailed his career so he adapted to become really a defensive player who could score you about 10 points a game and that's what the nuggets needed they needed someone to guard Lamar Odom they needed someone with the length to do that sort of thing and uh, they also needed someone to chip in with about 10 points off the bench and there's no doubt that George Carl would have loved to have had Antonio McDyess on that team you kidding me um, and it didn't work. And then uh, Dice ends up going to uh, San Antonio, and San Antonio ends up benefiting from basically McDice saying to the Denver Nuggets, "You traded me twice. I don't want to go back." That's one hundred percent what happened, and uh, it's disappointing. But the condition of of the allowing the n- Nuggets to include him in this trade was that he be bought out, and that's that's really disappointing. And if there is there's no doubt, no doubt that if mcdice was on that nuggets team they would have won the title that year finally we're talking about the 2020 nuggets in the bubble Um, and this is more uh about how unusual things are um and were um the nuggets i think they were worn out by the comebacks that they had to do in the first and second rounds of that uh time uh, obviously, we can't really apply that thing to every day every year series, but um one of the factors that I always look at is Mason Plumley not closing out correctly, and Anthony Davis hitting that shot at the end of game two that won the Lakers that game two series that game two uh win if the nuggets if Plumley closes out a little more aggressively. The Nuggets win that game, and that series might be look a ton different. Um, the Nuggets played so much better in that game, too, and, um, and deserve to win that game. And um, that series looks different uh, if, uh, if that happens. And, um, it was just these little things. It's not, it's not, it's not big talent deficiencies at some, what well, sometimes it was in the eighties, it was definitely. But, uh, even though there's some really good nuggets teams, but most of the times there has been just streaks of misfortune that really have hampered the nuggets Pursuits of titles, and uh, I just wanted to recontextualize things for people to give them an idea. The Nuggets are coming into these playoffs fully healthy, knock on wood. And uh, this makes this a little different than things that have happened before. So keep that in mind, folks. All right, before we take a break, I want to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th, and Blake and Wazzy in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Course Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They are always online at bfwcolorado.com. Reds, whites, Rieslings, Western Slope, um wineries to have their have their wines there. Um, the Dairy Block location is great. The Fort Collins location is fantastic. Um, whether you want uh, Pinot, and Pinot's is great. Their, their Pinot, since it's Sonoma County, is really, really high quality. Um, if you like the, the light Bodied dry red wines, um, which is what I do. That's kind of my preference. These are like the cabs or the the pinos, um, but they also got all other red varietals. They got the rieslings are, 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 are really the specialty of the western slope of Colorado. So if you're like and if you like those sweet um, white, almost diverse demeanor, um like wines. Try the Rieslings, I've been told they are excellent, uh, and, and and try that out. Um, but, you know, they have everything you need from your favorite wine bar in Lower Downtown. The Rockies are on right now, so, you know, pick and choose. If you're going down to the Rockies game, take a trick, to run at your family wines. If you uh, are just going there to, um, you know, just hang out downtown, great place to stop pre-game before a meal or stop there after you eat. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake-N-Y-Z in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, and Fort Collins, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They're all online at bfwdenver, bfwcolorado.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram under Blancher Family Wines. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you. Okay, I need to very briefly, and I do mean very briefly, address this Joel Embiid thing. Um, Embiid is, as I've pointed out before, he's going to win the MVP. He's deserving of it. Um, In my scripted episode last week, I talked about how he's deserving of it, and you could make a legit argument for him with doing nothing but complimenting and bringing up his stats. All right, you could just do that. People have chosen not to do it. They have chosen to bring up things that have nothing to do with it, but whatever. Um, Joel Embiid will win. Joel Embiid went and interviewed with, of course, Mark Spears, and he starts talking about how... Uh, he, he, just, he just basically... This is like a, a series of in, interviews that, um, that Embiid has given, basically... And I, I hate to use, I'm not going to use the word pity, but it's starting to become, woe is me, I'm winning, and, and no one likes to see that. And he's starting to make, and I've seen this subtly, Embiid is making, even people who, like aside from the people of Philadelphia, he is making people nationally get really turned off by this. And I said this on Twitter today, and I'm going to reiterate it here. Just take the W. And enjoy your MVP. Just be happy that you won. be It's okay to be happy you won the MVP. This, I don't know, I mean, my friend Zach Mikesh uh, pointed this out today. If he has a publicist, uh, he needs to be fired. If he doesn't have a publicist, he needs to get one right now. Because the decisions that Embiid is making right now to uh, talk about nicole Jokic, because he talked to rachel nichols about him i mean they're never really direct they're always very subtle and he's talking about well they do this for him when you don't do this for me that sort of thing and it's it's kind of weird um he doesn't need to it's very clear he's going to win the mvp so if i was his publicist i would say stop doing these interviews starting with that one the day after the day before or the day of him skipping that game uh, against the Nuggets in Denver, which was a clear—I'm not going to play in Denver and risk losing my MVP. Boy, uh, plus he doesn't like playing at altitude. Um, and he—the the other side of it is like he keeps these interviews, which he doesn't need to be doing. It's—it's it's clear from what everyone is saying he's going to win the MVP, and it doesn't do him any favors to go keep going on this PR campaign to do what exactly. And, and I guess that's my, where I'm at right now is that I don't know what he's trying to accomplish because the woe is me thing with him winning uh, and and coinciding with him winning an MVP is a terrible, terrible look. And I don't think I have ever seen an MVP award winner do this. It has been a very strange development in MVP award history to see someone who is very clearly the front runner and is likely going to win have what amounts to a pity party. I'm not going to say, and I'm not going to do what people have online and and talk about uh, uh, MB getting a pity award. That is definitely not it, folks. Um, people have gone. A little overboard and saying, "Well, other guy, these other two guys, in Giannis and Jokic, have have uh, won it, and you know, it's it's it's. Why not give it to Embiid? You know, that kind of colors your vote. But well, as I pointed out over and over and over and over again, Embiid deserves the win, regardless of what these people's motivations are, and and it doesn't help Embiid's case, and it certainly has started to turn people." The more he talks about this, why can't they treat me like this? Why aren't they? It is a bizarre situation. I, I and the the interview he gave was with uh, Mark Spears at Anscape. Um, Mark, God bless him, Mark Spears. You 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 could see is completely predictable that he would coax this out of Embiid. Uh, Spears, who has shown zero interest um, since he left, in interviewing. Uh, Jokic, but whatever. Um, it's just a personal thing, uh, as far as I'm concerned. But this has been a this has been very bizarre. What what Embiid has been doing is bizarre, and he's getting bad advice. If this is the advice he's getting, whether it's is it Drew Hanlon who's telling him to do these interviews? Is I don't know who it is, but it reflects extremely poorly on Joel Embiid. And it doesn't need to. It's stupid. He doesn't even need to be giving these interviews. It is bizarre that he continues to put himself out there like this. Not only is he needlessly kind of altering people's opinion of him, but he's putting a needless amount of pressure on him to win in the playoffs. This is a regular season award, right? But now he has put enormous pressure on himself to get, far, first of all, farther than Jokic, and B, and, 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 and at least get to the finals this year on the Sixers. And and he has done this completely needlessly. There was no reason for Joel Embiid to go on this campaign. And I don't understand it. It makes no sense. and And as I'm going to point it out again, if I was going to advise him, I would say, shut up and just play. Stop talking. Stop. You do not need this anymore. You won. You, you won. You don't need to justify anything. You don't need to complain about the way you are perceived. You have no... You won the award. Very few NBA players have won an MB, MVP award. I, this doesn't help Joel Embiid, and it's making people turn on him, who would otherwise be supportive. Dude, shut up! Just stop talking to all these reporters. Stop giving these interviews, because it does you no good. It helps you with the city of Philadelphia. Oh, great if if that's what your if that's what your goal is, I guess. But everyone else is kind of like, dude, just stop, and. Like, look, he's not looking for advice from someone from Denver, but at least that's what I would say. All right, thank you all for joining me on the latest MoreCast. I'm going to be back, well, I might be back uh, this weekend. I don't know. Uh, But if not, I'll be back certainly after Game 1 on Sunday. So thank you all for joining me. I will be back soon with another episode. Goodbye.